Our scripture for today comes from Galatians 5. I'll be reading from the message. I suspect you would never intend this, but this is what happens when you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects. You're cut off from Christ, you fall out of grace. Meanwhile, we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. For in Christ, neither our most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion accounts to anything. What matters is something far more interior, faith expressed in love. It is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summoned up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you will be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Family is a loaded word. For each one of us, it brings up different feelings and thoughts and memories. Your life may be full of biological family or you may find yourself with little to no biological family. Maybe you have always longed to have family, or maybe you've longed to get away from family. Family can be a happy, sad, peaceful, anxious, safe, or fearful association for you. There is no one family type. Family is as unique as the individuals that are a part of it. One of my favorite mentors used to say, tongue in cheek, that if you're looking for family values, the Bible is not the place to start. Family is one of the Bible's central themes, and there is as much familial heartbreak as there is familial harmony. Many of the stories in the Bible take place in the context of biological family. And what happens in those biological families is not always in line with what we would consider to be traditional or Christian family values. In the Bible, we see all kinds of families, extended family households, polygamous marriage, divorce and infidelity, abusive or incestuous family, long-distance relationship, interracial and intercultural families, and marriage between believers and unbelievers, just to name a few. At the same time, God as the creator, redeemer, and sustainer of human family, of the human family, is really the theological cornerstone of our faith and the biblical tradition. The theme of family is used frequently in the Bible, and interestingly, a common familial theme in the Old and New Testaments is adoption. Adoption within the extended family, outside the family, surrogate parenthood, and even cross-cultural adoption. 
In the New Testament, this theme of adoption is further developed. And eventually it's used to describe Christian community. In the early church, a new kind of adoptive family emerges, one in which biologically unrelated people serve and relate with one another as parent, child, and sibling. Acts 4 describes this new adoptive family in this way, in verse 32. The whole congregation of believers was united as one, one heart, one mind. They didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. No one said, that's mine, you can't have it. They shared everything. Jesus set the tone for a broad and deep understanding of what it means to be family in him. We remember some of his final words and actions in the last moments of his life. From John 19, Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing near her at the foot of his cross. He said to his mother, woman, here is your son. And then to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that moment, the disciple accepted her as his own mother. Jesus and the writers of scripture pushed the boundaries of what it means to be family, teaching us that our belonging and responsibility extend beyond our biological or nuclear family to the reaches of God's human family. Jesus has given us to each other which is one of the reasons I think Paul was so upset with the Galatians and even more so with false teachers. Now there were many people in many towns who received Paul's teaching, trusted him, and even cared for him as one of their own. Paul was a successful church planter, but there were also as many, if not more people, who were against Paul and his gospel. The early Christian establishment, and particularly the establishment in Jerusalem, taught that to become a Christian, a person must follow Jewish law, including the practice of circumcision. The idea that conversion to Judaism was not required to be a Christ follower pushed the envelope. Paul's ideas were outside of the establishment. It's thought that there were groups of people who literally trailed Paul from place to place, coming behind him to undo his teaching and convince Christians to follow Jewish law. This had to be incredibly frustrating and dismaying to Paul. This was simply not the way that God's spirit had spoken to him. Paul minces no words in his letter to the Galatians. He spews curses and even snarky comments. One time, 
when I was on a road trip with my mom and my stepdad and my four-year-old little brother, my brother had kicked the back of my mother's seat in a tantrum one time too many. He was given many warnings and chose to heed none of them. My mother finally pulled over the car and took my brother into the bathroom at a McDonald's, just as she had promised. And many of you will know that this is a bathroom trip you did not want to make. When my brother and my mom came back to the car, my mom put my brother back in his car seat and she closed the door. And before she could open the driver's door, my brother said to my stepdad and me, "Woo, she is mad. Paul is mad with the Galatians. But it's from a place of deep concern and conviction. This argument the Galatians were having over circumcision, whether you had to do it or not to be saved, is a symptom of a deeper illness in their community. Paul's concern for them is that they are being led away from life in the spirit. Paul says they are choosing to live life in the flesh when they are arguing about this. Flesh is a confusing word because in the biblical tradition, it's really about more than the body or our literal flesh. It's more holistic than that. In the New Testament, the words flesh and spirit define two spheres of influence. So Paul sees the Galatians being dragged into the influence of the flesh rather than the spirit. As they are debating something that they find to be deeply religious and spiritual. Paul warns them that the infighting, the biting, they are choosing to use their energy for will eventually result in them annihilating or devouring each other. They will be destroyed from the inside out. This context in which they are meant to be bound together is becoming a space in which they're tearing each other apart. And this does not sound like life-giving relationship, does it? So in Galatians, Paul says that living in the flesh looks like stirring up these kinds of conflict, even if they are about religious matters. It looks like becoming violent in word or deed. It looks like disregarding the needs or feelings of other people, living at the whims of human desire, allowing anything to take the place of Christ in their lives. What Paul invites the Galatians and us to is life in the spirit to place our lives in the spirit's sphere of influence. Paul says later in Galatians 5 that when our lives are influenced by the spirit, our lives bear a specific kind of fruit, love. And love looks like joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul teaches that Christ sets us free from living anything apart from a life in the Spirit. We've been set free from the work of striving, proving, earning, and fighting for belonging or hope or salvation. The way we live free in Christ is by the power of the Spirit. It's not something that we can do on our own. Paul also teaches that there is a directionality to freedom. Freedom in Christ moves in the direction of love. It doesn't move any way we decide we want it to. Responsible freedom, Paul says, is freedom working itself out in love. Each of us in our lives have been given people to love. Our friends, our co-workers, our fellow students, our family. The part of God's human family that you have been given to love is specific to you. If Paul were writing to us, I think what he'd care most about is not so much what family looks like for us, but how we are loving the people who are our family in Christ. Marjorie Williams, in her children's book, The Velveteen Rabbit, defines what it means to be real in a powerful way that speaks to what it means to be family. In the story, there's a wise old toy horse who talks to a stuffed toy rabbit that came in a little boy's Christmas stocking. They're laying on the playroom floor when the rabbit asks the wise horse, what is real? Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a stick out handle? And the horse answers, Real isn't how you are made. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. It doesn't all happen at once. You become Generally, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in all the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. The horse explains what family is. It isn't how we are made or what we look like or about somehow becoming what the world tells us is successful. Family is loving one another over time, despite what life throws at us. It is about loving and being loved. This is how Paul invites us to be family for one another in all of life's seasons, to love one another well, to watch and wonder as we mature in Christ, 
to devote ourselves to each other's flourishing. You know, in life's hustle and bustle, I find that it's easy for me to forget that having someone to love is a miracle. It is a gift, a sacred opportunity. Sometimes I am tired and overwhelmed and I'm feeling like the world is against me and I miss the beauty of family surrounding me. Life is so precious and fragile and it is simply a miracle that God has given us life, given us to each other, and given us the task of love. You know, I didn't really grow up in church, but I had people in my life who always made sure I knew about Jesus. When I think about experiences early in my faith life that felt like family in the way described in Acts and Galatians and beyond. One of the things I think about is about visits to my aunt's house. Growing up, when we went to visit my Nana, I often got to stay with my cousin overnight. And my cousin's parents, my aunt and uncle, always took me to church on Sunday mornings. My aunt is a teacher, and she has spent her life loving children, believing in them, cultivating their minds and hearts. I remember her going through the house on Sunday mornings, singing and opening all the blinds, getting us ready for church. I remember the smell of breakfast, riding in the car to church together, watching my aunt play piano in worship. You know, getting ready for church in my house on Sunday mornings is not always a joy, but for my aunt, it was always joy. I felt surrounded by her love and her warmth and her God loves you energy. It was as if she believed it was her responsibility to extend God's belonging to every person in her life. Who are the people that are God's family for you? The people God has placed around you in God's beautiful garden. Your spouse or significant other, your children or grandchildren, your friends, students, co-workers, neighbors. In each of those relationships, how can you move more deeply into love? You know, we can't offer love to others if our love tank is empty. So maybe the best thing you can do today or this week to move more deeply into love is take some time and space to fill up your tank. Maybe moving more deeply into love in your relationships looks like an act of service, being there for someone who needs a shoulder to lean on, 
saying thank you or I'm sorry or how can I help? Writing a note of encouragement. Texting just to say I love you, you're amazing, I am in your corner. Whatever it looks like, the Spirit shows you the way. The Spirit is blooming love in you. How is it that you can breathe it in and receive this goodness and this gift from God? Please pray with me. Loving and gracious God, forgive us when we get ahead of ourselves. Forgive us when we neglect the miracle of family, the miracle of having people to love. God, help us to see how to love today the people you have given to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.